This week on the podcast, we dive into our top three favorite units for Warhammer 40,000. We also have a very special guest appearance from Man with Weed Whacker Outside My Window, Uncredited Extra. Let's get into it. This is our Positivity Week. Here we go. We're going to talk Hooray. about our three favorite models. <laughs> Hooray! Our three favorite models in 40K. <laughs> um, or our three favorite units, I guess. Um, for me, it always comes down to the same thing. Um, I don't like units that I don't like the models to. Um, it's why Necron Destroyers are a very good unit, but they were on my negative list uh, in our first episode. <laughs> So I am Logan. And I am John. So let's talk about what we each did to compile our list, because I think we didn't do that last time, and I think methodology matters when we're picking these units, eh? So sure. I, I lead with aesthetics. If a unit doesn't look cool, I'm not saying it won't end up in a list for practicality purpose, but it won't. it's not going to make a top three for me in the game. Sure. Um, so all three of my choices are things that I love the models of, or the model of, in, a, in one case. Um, what about you? So my methodology for this is going to be pretty similar to. Again, we didn't we did not discuss it, but maybe it came out in the first podcast of the units we disliked. I go first into the lore behind it, uh, and then I visit the rules and talk about whether the rules match the lore and whether the rules are playable in any sense. So it's not going to be a, you know, is this competitive test? Although that is part of it because I'm a firm believer that losing games all the time is not fun. Uh, no, and then I'm, I will end. Yeah. I will end with the models. Um, so the, the aesthetics are not as important for me as they are for Logan, but they are somewhat important. Certainly. Um, We'll get into it, but I have some some of my favorite units get mixed reviews in one of the three different categories. Uh, it's very difficult in my mind to come up with a perfect uh, model with amazing lore and also with rules that perform as expected on a tabletop. And I uh, actually, this kind of is, is interesting to me to think about now that you do lead with lore and then lore into how do the rules match the lore? Because yeah. one of the things that has come up doing this podcast and uh, with Emily listening to the podcast and uh, she was saying, you don't seem like you seem like you don't like a lot of the lore in 40K or you don't like a lot of the story. And so I've been having to contend with, um, is that true? That might be true. I might not like a <laughs> lot of the lore points in 40K. Like I sort of, I low keyed hate Space Marine. Yeah. Uh, the way that they're presented, I think they're they're very boring. I think we kind of had this chat within our uh, 40K group here um, the other day online. But uh, I've thought about some of the books that I've read, and uh, I think it's one of the reasons that Imperial Guard ranks so highly in my list of 40K factions as far as what I like. Because they are human beings in a grimdark galaxy... And as human beings, you can't help but tell a human story about them. Right. As that makes to sense. A stoic, peerless space warrior who lives only for duty, which, I mean, I can't relate to. 
Do you know what I, I can't stop from eating like a California pizza roll when I'm not supposed to, let alone living a life of noble self-sacrifice. So I feel more related yeah. when a guardsman is like, oh man, I'm on punishment detail because I done ate all the pizza rolls for the toll tank crew. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's me. That's me before I fight Tyranids. I'm going in with a, with a pizza roll tummy ache. <laughs> or in a penal legion jumpsuit. <laughs> I mean, listen, we, I think most modern people, we would all end up in like a penal legion or a penal colony in the 40K universe because there would be one person yeah. who was like, you know, we must give our lives for the emperor. And we'd be like, fuck the emperor. I didn't vote for him. And then boom, <laughs> off to the salt mines of Kira Lee or whatever. <laughs> well, I think, you know, brainwashing plays into that. Would we necessarily be as individualistic if we weren't one American and two raised uh, outside of the auspices of the Imperium of Mankind. Who can say? Well, I, I do always like the different cultures that exist uh, within the human part of 40K, right? Because you have like these feudal worlds, you have like some semi-democratic worlds that are ruled by like a governor, but then the Imperium is over that structure. So I actually think that that's kind of interesting. And it does always make it seem a little bit fucked to me when space marines land on a planet and they're like these people democratically elect their leaders which we don't in the imperium and they don't revere the emperor enough we might have to purge a bunch of these people and then you read <laughs> the description of the imperium and it's like it's a thousand types of government stitched together across a billion stars um that all form one greater part of the imperium and i'm like ah, oh, it seems like if you're not a very specific brand of fascist it's not working out so well for you in ye old imperium well, I, I do think that's possible. I mean, GW goes a little bit too far in trying to hang too much detail on certain things. The, the explanation for the phenomenon you're talking about that, I have all, that has always resonated most with me is that generally the planetary governor can do whatever the hell he or she wants as long as the tithe comes through. Right. Right? And you only start getting into problems when... Uh, Adeptus Ministorum folks start showing up and asking too many questions and the planetary governor either doesn't or cannot comply with them. Well, but largely it's like if there's not an invasion that you need backup to repel and as long as you are paying what the you know 10,000 year old manifest says that your planet owes to the Imperium, it's like we got bigger problems than to come down and see whether John and Logan have installed a democracy. And uh, the the kind of well, I think that the demands that they make of a lot of the planets also really start to lend themselves to fascism. Because let's sure. say that planet John and Logan were was like, oh, we're a mining planet, and we were like, we can safely mine one hundred cubits of ore. And then the Imperium, every time I read a book, is like, we need at least three hundred cubits of ore, and we're like, well, we gotta lobotomize the mining slaves on this planet now. I guess we are a fascist, <laughs> yep. sci-fi, totalitarian, which also uh, is the reason I think um, we're not going into it for this as an episode. This is just units and models. But I will say for me, I think outside of the Guard, or maybe including the Guard, the most sympathetic faction in 40K is the Gene Stealer cults. Because sure. none of them really start rising up for the most part just being like, I love aliens, Let's, I love it, burst out of my chest, let's go <laughs> eat our neighbors. 
all of the gene stealer right. cults get started in some way of being like, hey, do we really want to be lobotomized? No. Let's rise Turns up against no. us. And let's send a yeah. Keller Morph to go shoot a hundred uh, space cops. Well, and I think it's also, it speaks to the nature of the Imperium that they generally don't, you, you don't generally get planetary uprisings unless there's some catalyst. It's either... Uh, you know, a gene stealer patriarch has arrived in secret and begun corrupting uh, and, you know, making suggestions to the masses, if you will. Or if there's some, you know, chaos cult popped up, some local demagogue has said, well, why are, why are we fighting for the emperor who is a guy on a throne 10,000 light years away that doesn't give a shit about you? Why don't you fight for me instead and I'll reward you fabulously? Or fabiously, as the new pariah thing mm-hmm. will offer us. Well, you know, that's the secret twist at the end. Of course, the, the <laughs> you know, cultists, the, the prototypical cultists don't necessarily know that. I, I do think that there's so much grimdark piled up for the average imperial citizen in 40K that you would have to offer me incredibly little for me to turn against the government of the 41st millennium. Yeah. Because, like, every hive city is like, oh, we feed you corpse, corpse starch. We process human bodies into the worst version of a human food product. And I feel like you could win me over if you were just like, hey, do you just want to eat fresh human meat that hasn't been processed? Do you just want a steak? Listen, this is your old coworker, Jake, but you can just have like the thickest thigh steak off of Jake that you can have. It doesn't have to be corpse starch that tastes like powder. Get some of the long pork. I'd be in for it. I know you would too. Yeah, I would just, you know, okay, that's all it takes for me. All right, guys, I guess we're going to rise up. Sorry, Necromunda. Well, and so this is why I love and hate the 40K lore. I love the 40K lore at like a 10,000-foot view. I like the idea of um, your your co-drudge laborer deciding that he'd rather have a, a fresh human steak than some corpse starch. The things that I don't like are when you get down to like a five foot view and you start trying to humanize the characters because these people live in such horrific conditions that I don't think they can be humanized at all. Yeah. And I think it takes something away from the grim darkness of the setting when you're like, I'm going to tell a kind story about these guys who just find themselves in a situation that's really bad. Like, no, that's that's shitty. That's not what I'm here for 40K for. So I cannot read Black Library at all. Oh, sure. That on paper, I don't hate. So I, but I have only read one Black Library book that I actually enjoyed more or less cover <laughs> to cover. And it was, of course, about the Imperial Guard and is also, I think, so lost in the shuffle of Black Library books. It's uh, an Imperial, yeah. Gu- Imperial Guard novel called Gunheads. And it's just a story of uh, the Astra Militarum or the Guard trying to reclaim... Uh, Commissar Yarick's Fortress of Arrogance on a planet where it was lost, an orc planet. And that's it. That's the whole story. It's just um, spending way too many resources to uh, recapture a an Imperial Guard figurehead tank. So yeah, that right. they can be inspired <laughs> on Armageddon. And there's something, like, it's very Starship Troopers, right? Like, there's we're sp- expending so many resources for this piece of propaganda, essentially. Right. Yeah, but um, I actually agree. I get more substance and f- and fluff 
more narrative, if you will. I think out of rule books than most of the Black Library books that I've read. Yeah, and and I think it's just certain types of storytelling lend themselves more to the feeling that I like getting out of 40K. Like, I think short stories could get away with it, especially if you have a very unique writer. I don't know if you've read William Gibson. He's the guy who wrote Neuromancer. Yeah, he has exactly. a very specifically almost... read Neuromancer. Yeah, so that Neuromancer is very indicative of his entire writing style. It's almost sort of surreal or dreamlike, and the, the people's motivations don't necessarily make sense. Right. Uh, because you don't learn exactly what they're thinking about, but you learn s- enough of what they're thinking about so that they're approachable. You're like, yeah, this this person could exist given some weird, twisted, dystopian future, which is usually the backdrop. And so it shares that in common with 40K, I think. I need to commission William Gibson with my you know lottery winnings or whatever to, to write a 40K story, because I think it'd be great. Uh, you know, an author within the Black Library who does well on portions that aren't Space Marines, I think, is uh, <laughs> oh god, I can never know how to say his name, but Aaron Dim- Dimbesky Bowden, something like that. Yeah, he uh, ADB ADB. Um, he uh, <laughs> his guard and stuff that he writes, like in his Armageddon novel about Hell's Reach, that got made into the kind of the fan miniseries and stuff. The Imperial right. Guard soldiers like have a lot of personality and are like very relatable. And all of the Space Marines, including Chaplain Grimaldus, are kind of all varying degrees of like stoic and hot-headed, stoic but hot-headed and uh, arrogant. And that's kind of the full range of personality for his Space Marines. Um, but I will say, so that we can get started on our list here, the Imperial Guard... Okay, so here's a real thing about recording a podcast with technology from long distance. You're in North Carolina, I'm in Texas. (laughs) Guys, how is the world running on Zoom? Zoom just melted my phone. Now, I will grant you, is this phone purchased at a Cricket Wireless store? Yes. Did it cost me more than $109? No. But still, uh... No other app has melted it quite like Zoom has in that <laughs> short amount of time. It froze me out of a out of a device so hard that I couldn't reboot back into it. I had to pop the battery out and manually reset it. Harsh. Yeah. Well, you know, it works about as well as everything in 40k. So maybe it's on. <laughs> your phone uh, will still be here thirty thousand years in the future. It'll be grafted into somebody's brain pan. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, I've been thinking a lot about like technology that is, you know, speaking of William Gibson and Neuromancer and also the AdMech, which I'm getting into here. Um, I've been thinking a lot about like the, you know, the implanted technology, kind of one of the cornerstones of cyberpunk is, you know, people have their ocular implants or their wrist blades or, you know, your cell phone is located inside of your skull. Um, I haven't watched much of the show. But I did see, like, one episode of uh, Shark Tank. (laughs) And a guy came in for, like, a Bluetooth headset. But he was like, it's implanted, like, right behind your ear. (laughs) So you can just, like, receive calls, like, in your head. It's a small microsurgery. (laughs) And you just, like, saw these investors' faces. I think it was before Mark Cuban was on the show. It's just, like, these four people just, like, what is... 
And then uh, I will actually admit I had not given this subject any thought up to this point. But one of the like bigger investor guys on the show, he says, uh, hey, man, what happens when 2.0 comes out? Did everybody that had the first generation microsurgery, you just now have an old implant? <laughs> or do they have to go and get another surgery to get head jack 2.0? And uh, you could see the look on this guy's face where he was like, oh, I've designed a whole surgery and I built a whole little implant. I never thought about this. Ooh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be able to answer that question. <laughs> Well, and of course, the answer is terrible, right? The answer has to be like, oh, yeah, you would get this taken out surgically and then get a new one put in surgically. Right. Yeah. Ouch. So, so we have pivoted onto the old technology of uh, cell phone towers. And uh, we're doing a manual call to record this now. And let me say, what a pleasant, clear voice you have. <laughs> It rings like a little bell. Only by comparison to Zoom. <laughs> well, with Zoom, it is as if I'm trying to uh, co-host one half with a man and one half with what I would assume a Castellan robot. <laughs> um, and not the good kind with the little phosphor blasters. Um, but what's not on my list? Castellan robots. What did make my list? Something right out of the good old-fashioned Imperial Guard. Uh, the faction that I think of as the American part of the Imperium. For some <laughs> uh, maybe because I played Catachan and it looks like their general should be modeled after Robert, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, but the Catachan don't make my list because they are as famously hideous as everyone says. I can tell you after trying to make 85 of their little faces make any kind of sense with paint. Oof, yeah, can't imagine. <laughs> Oh, it's just even when they're perfectly like cleaned and primed and it's like painting a melted wax face. They're terrible. They really they're they're some of the aesthetically some of the worst models I think GW's ever made. Positivity episode. Uh so the Bulgrim <laughs> are my first pick for my favorite unit slash model in 40k. Um I will say I didn't pull the trigger on them when I first got into guard at the end of seventh, only because I was like, well, there's, there's no place that their rules are good. Seventh edition Bulgren did not have a utility. That's true. Because if you remember, if you wanted to mix the shields, you also had to mix the weapons. Ooh. The slab shield was only available with the terrible little wrist mounted grenade launcher. Mm, got it. And the mall, you could only get the invuln save. So, one of the things in 8th edition, of course, that makes these guys, I think, uh, pound for pound, point for point, the best combat unit in the game is the ability to mix your saves. Yeah. Some are 2 plus, some are 4 plus invuln. It's very, very easy to get that to a 3 plus invuln and effectively a 1 plus save or even to a 0 plus. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to compete with. You know, uh, I watched the finals during the uh, LVO a few years ago when um, Brandon Grant won with his guard list. And everybody, the big debate between uh, Bulgren and any other Imperial close combat unit was what about shield captains souping into guard? What about custodies? Mm -hmm. You know, a shield captain gains a toughness. They come with the two plus four plus natively, all that kind of thing. Right. Um, 
all the Bulgarian obliterated the shield captains when he ran up to basically a mere match. But the guy had taken triple shield captain instead of Bulgarian <laughs> and the Bulgarian buffing character suite. And the Bulgarian ran over a shield captains like they weren't there. Yeah. I think in one case, the shield captains got the charge, just bounced off the Bulgarians, and then got beat to death with, by big ogres with space baseball bats. <laughs> Dear listeners, Logan is going to groan when I say this to him yet again, but it's new for you. So Bulgarian are that thing that proves that the way to make the autocannon profile in 8th edition actually do work is if you get about 60 attacks with it. <laughs> uh yeah well you know they they would be a bad unit if the, if it wasn't for the volume of attacks right they, they take buffs so well any kind of buff yeah um the actually the great comparison point is my other army uh or one of my other armies uh orcs a big knob of uh or a knob with big chopper excuse me uh takes the same profile right strength seven minus one flat two mm-hmm. damage uh they get three attacks with a big chopper which is the same as a bulgrin base but a bulgrin on the charge gets an additional attack yep. for i believe it's still 35 points you throw a priest f- five attacks yep. each and that's the magic of them. I mean, you can use Gazkol and uh, exploding more attacks on sixes if you want to be goths with orcs. But, I mean, that is uh, the opposite of Bulgarin plus a priest. A priest is an easy little plug-and-play choice. Gazkol, you have to build your army ar- uh, around. Well, and knobs have a six-up save. <laughs> hey. Watch your, they got four ups. Oh, oh, so very oh, good. Oh, really? Very good orcs. Ooh. Uh, yeah, boss, boss knobs in boy units. I actually see it's misplayed here and there on battle reports. They have a six oh, up save. I see. Um, dedicated knob units have a four plus mm. save, which actually I've used before once effectively in a game. If you use the loot at stratagem when they are next to something, next to a vehicle, sorry, that gets destroyed, oh. uh, they end up with a three plus save. So they're kind of a two wound space Marine of old, you know, they have no invuln, but they have a three up armor save. They're two wounds or T four. Uh, and that becomes pretty tasty or it used to against small arms right. fire. Of course, as we all know, now there are space Marines who are at least minus one. all the time. <laughs> so a three up save at toughness four doesn't do too much right. for you, which is the other magical thing about Bulgren. They are only as strong as a knob with a big chopper, but, their toughness five and they have how many wounds and they're three wounds yeah. each which is another magic number so yeah auto cannon equivalents don't shot them so say bulgren versus knobs with big choppers the bulgren's one shot every knob that their their damage gets through bulgren's have a better save and each bulgren eats two equivalent attacks yeah. Um, it also means they're really hard to get rid of like a whole Bulgren with something like uh, smite. Like you have to hit the three on your yeah. D three. Um, I just found them to be so good when I was playing a little bit more competitively at the start of eighth, you know, um, I played uh, right before the rule of three rule went into effect. I played a, a local tournament game with five tank. <laughs> And uh, as good as tank commanders are, it was too much of an immobile castle that the second 
anything tags the tank commanders, they have no ability to fall back and shoot or act. So your castle is yeah. ruined. And you have to rely on guardsmen to essentially fight your way out, which in the game that really made me look into Bulgren, um, I uh, uh, was running Catachan and I tried to I tried to dig them out with Catachan, but I was up against uh, Reavers, which aren't even a great. That's unit. <laughs> very true. Not back then. But you know what? You know what they're really good against? <laughs> Tagging tank commanders. Catachan guardsmen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and ta- yeah, exactly. Tagging tank commanders and Catachan, unless you've got about 40 of them, are not going to dig you out of that problem. So uh, I lost to uh, a mixture of Dark Angels and, uh, I believe, Talarn Imperial Guard. Um, but Bulgren, so they play really well for the reasons we've just established. They've got the perfect toughness in Toughness 5. Uh, they hit like a truck with... Uh, what is it? So it's five attacks each on the charge. You've got nine of them. So plus one for the bonehead. It's 46 attacks on the charge. Because I can tell you, having played probably 30 games with Bulgren and tanks, um, it's not hard to get all your Bulgren into combat. Correct. Events. There's only nine of them. They've got big bases. It's easy to get within an inch of yep. an inch. Uh, Bulgren are a unit that never, ever let me down across all the games. I would have games where my tank commanders would whiff. I would have games where my guardsmen would get taken out by high rate of fire. Until the new Marine book, (laughs) Bulgren never disappointed. Uh, When the new Marine book came out, I played Imperial Fists with that list at a little local tournament. And uh, it was was over by turn three. Bulgren were all dead. Guard were all dead. Tank commanders were all dead. I had killed a couple units of intercessors and taken a few wounds off yeah. of things. Um, but, uh, you know, I got out of guard uh, recently. The only thing I kept is my uh, Uriah Jacobus model for my priest. I kept my conversion of Commissar Yarrick, and I kept all of my own. <laughs> Because I do not know what my new form of guard will take. But I do know that Bulgren and possibly some Ogren are going to be at the heart of it. <laughs> because aesthetically speaking, I actually like the way that Ogren look more than I like the way that Bulgren I agree with look. that 100%. I love the Ripper gun. I love uh, the, you know, either just bare muscly chest with like a bandolier or like, you know, your space tank top. Um, they look amazing. Yeah. When Bulgren came out, uh, the Bulgren, reason I didn't like them is because they took away a lot of the things that I liked about Ogren. Yeah, I really initially did not like like the Bulgren plate and stuff like that. And even now with my Bulgren, you know, I try to play uh, just about 100% WYSIWYG on everything. So I wanted anyone who's going to have Bulgren plate, which is every member of a Bulgren unit, you can't choose to not right. have it to have the plate armor on. But now like that, I have them, you know, painted and done. It's not a big deal, but I do wish I had a couple of Bulgren, like in their tank tops or with their bare <laughs> chests and all their just slabs of big ogre muscle. Hanging out. <laughs> um, but I think uh, Bulgren topped the list for me because incredibly good on the tabletop. Um, I think they look incredible. I think it's the best ogre sculpt that GW has done to date for me. Yeah. Um, is this, you know, new-ish plastic kit for them. Um, the only thing I think is a miss for me a little bit is the grenade launcher arm. Looks kind of 
funky to me. It almost looks like a Killican Grazuka <laughs> without the uh, scrap hopper on the top. Yeah. But nobody takes those. Nobody took those in seventh. Nobody's taking them now. Uh, so you don't really see them too much. You know, they are the space baseball bats and shields yeah. guys. I I definitely uh, like Bulgren as a grim dark choice. I think the lore is born out in those guys, even though they haven't existed, you know, back in the early days of 40K to my knowledge. But everything about them is a very mass produced, like obviously this guy is three times the mass of a normal human. So it's going to be expensive to kit him out, but you can tell that they, they spared no expense, shall we say, um, all of the stuff looks like, you know, like, well, this came off the ruins of a tank and we just taped it to the ogre and he seems to love it. So we're going to put him out front. Um, oh, I love that. It's all uh Lehman yeah. Russ armor from like old scrap. Yeah. And it's stuff. uh it's, it's a very sort of, you know, make do sort of thing. And so that's, I, I do like ab humans. I think they're an interesting part of the lore in that they are tolerated, but never really embraced. And they always get the shittiest jobs. So Bullgren get a check for me as well. Well, and I actually, my kind of, my tentative plan, I'm just waiting to see maybe if in the next year or two, since this is such a long-term hobby, <laughs> anything gets released, uh, is to maybe look at doing like an abhuman regiment or something like that thematically, if I can make it work decently well on the tabletop. Yeah, that would be neat. You know, find the concept and support it, which will be a later choice for me. But uh, let's go into your first pick. Well, my first pick is pretty far removed from Bulgrin. Um, so, I think we can all agree that chaos, by and large, sucks. It's a losing proposition, right? <laughs> you can maybe make some tentative debate as to whether it's worse than life in the Imperium. But to slave away in battle after battle, any of which would probably be your last, and in the hopes that the gods will turn their eye upon you, knowing, perhaps, or maybe not knowing, but that the the attention of that god, um, that fickle, thirsting entity from beyond the stars might just turn you into a gibbering monstrosity for the arrogance of having drawn their eye for even a second. Uh, it's hard to imagine why anyone would follow any of the chaos gods, any mortal, that is. And so my first pick provides the reason. My first pick is the Demon Prince. A chance, no matter how small, that phenomenal cosmic power can be yours sells the whole concept of chaos to me. All of the risk, all of the potential calamity that could pour, that could befall you uh, as it's portrayed in the 41st millennium. There is an infinitesimal chance that you could ascend to be something wholly immortal. Um, they're not just powerful, right? They're weird. So we'll get into this later, but the very nature of chaos combined with four different types of divinity provides an almost endless possibility for what a demon prince could have been in life and what it is now. Uh, it's a true hobby opportunity in painting, modeling, and lore. Each demon prince can tell a story all by itself. So... Um, I love the lore of the Demon Prince because it it's basically summing up the idea of chaos in one, one model, one unit. You become a walking tank that others will obey unflinchingly, but the eyes of God are always upon you, and it's an attention that you do not wish to court for very long. Uh, so it's awesome in the most grimdark way possible. The rules... 
uh, as an extension of that are exactly what you expect. Uh, Demon Prince has never been weak since I started playing in early 6th edition, and I don't expect that it will ever be what anybody would consider weak in the days to come. Uh, Demon Princes are fast. They're tough. They have they throw powerful psychic spells. Uh, they hit like a ton of bricks in combat. They, importantly, play in every phase of the game. There is little that a Demon Prince cannot threaten. I have a few quibbles with the rules. You know, um, when's the last time you saw a Demon Prince without wings? So um, that and the weapon options being sort of mono build, I think limit the possibilities in a little bit. Um, there's sometimes a mediocre balance between the versions, whether that be demon princes dedicated to certain gods or demon princes taken from different codices. Like there, there always seems to be one demon prince that's better or more efficient than all of the other ones, even though they cost about the same. Um, And if I may end on the smallest quibble of all, sometimes they have limited access to relics because a lot of relics are clearly intended for things like chaos lords, which are infantry models. And so it's like a, a relic replacing a power axe or lightning claws does nothing for a demon prince unless you can also replace the the analog for the demon prince. And a lot of times what would be a really great weapon on an infantry model is sort of a side grade, if you will, on a demon prince. But those are all quibbles. Bottom line, the rules mirror the lore. Demon princes are scary. They're awesome. Um, the models. I think the standard GW model is fine. It's a little bit uninspiring, you know? So... The, the one that they put out, it's very clearly uh, used to be a man. Now it's not a man, but it's still man-sized, or it's still man-shaped. Um, I think the kit could be more customizable. You know, you get your choice of arms, but it's really just to represent the weapons in the book. Um, they're always humanoid. They're only three heads. Um, I think the kit itself is not a great cost-to-benefit ratio, but that's just the starting point when it comes to demon princes. And really the, one of the main reasons that I picked this to put on the list, there are a lot of great third-party models. Um, you can get your favorite bits from almost any range, you know, Tyranid bits, Gene Stealer bits, even things like Necron bits can have a place in the right uh, demon prince kit bash. There are so many really creative and well-executed um sculpts that you can find online people making their own demon prince again so you know we joke about forging the narrative a lot but i think demon prince is bar none one of the best opportunities to do that in your own game build the the model that represents a story that you came up with for your own dudes right so yeah i have uh i have the dark side of that on my visits to the death guard reddit sometimes though I don't know if you keep up with the forge your own narrative with build your own. <laughs> I don't. Uh, boy, what an explosion of green stuff a Nurgle demon prince can be. Oh, his torso doesn't really need to line up with his arms and his legs don't really need to have a hip. It's just uh, so many bits stuck into green stuff. Oh, man. For uh that it just goes to show that green stuff can be both a blessing and a curse. So we can analyze this choice uh, free form, but in a, a little more detail, but my bot, that's a good segue into my bottom line is that much like following chaos itself, uh, it is easy to be mediocre when you're fielding a demon prince model, a rare few go far beyond showing the sublime pinnacle that mere mortals can aspire to and others wind up as gibbering wrecks of formless flesh. (laughs) 
There, there are definitely some uh, some Nurgle chaos spawn on a sixty millimeter base. I think accidentally created for demon. If, if even that, yeah. I mean, chaos spawn are supposed to at least be able to threaten you on the tabletop, and it's sort of uh, unclear to me how the Pillsbury Doughboy could threaten me. <laughs> I do just refer to them as orange <laughs> princes in yeah. my head when I see them when I'm scrolling Reddit. Um, but, uh, I, I agree with just about everything. I do think, uh, with hateful assault for the two, uh, or I guess three, cause you can take them in regular chaos space Marines, but we don't <laughs> know anybody who plays them. Uh, <laughs> but so I'm thinking primarily of thousand sons, I guess. And, uh, death guard, the, uh, the demon prince is there with hateful assault. I think that um, I don't know why the math works out for me this way. Maybe it's the amount of wounds that things tend to have or the number of models that tend to be in a unit that you want to send a demon prince against. But I think that the sword has more of a place and conversation for how to build a demon prince than it did pre-Hateful Assault. Somehow five attacks with the sword to me seem very acceptable compared yeah, to well, five attacks. Yeah, well, it was always sort of a choice based on what you were going to run. I mean, if you always knew that you were going to be rocking diabolic strength, then it was easier to sell yourself on the idea of the sword, right? Mm-hmm. So certainly as the number of base attacks get ramped up, the sword becomes more... And obviously, I mean, there's some utility to the axe as well. The Skull Reaver Relic is really fantastic, so... Like I said, it, it's a quibble. I definitely think that uh, GW has, in recent days, taken some steps toward remedying the mono build aspect. I mean, for some reason, the footprints is still way too expensive relative to the wing guy. I think they doubled down on that in the last points adjustment, but they're they're doing a lot better at homogenizing yeah. the cost to benefit ratio of like the different god mark princes like the death guard and thousand sons and csm princes now don't cost the same necessarily which is nice yes no and i i it you know of course i wish my beloved death guard demon prince was uh cheaper but uh his price is very very reasonable 156 on foot so i think that makes him 180 with wings um I mean, getting hateful assault over a codex demons demon prince automatically right. should make them cost more. Right. Uh, and then access to, I mean, I think you know you're talking about the limited access of relics and stuff for demon princes. I think Death Guard has to be right there for the single best relic to give a demon. Oh prince. yeah, the separating plate is nasty for sure. But it's almost surprising to me that demon prince it, it is a little bit shocking i mean that's the the rare case where a relic is worse on infantry than it is on a demon prince and the demon prince is still allowed to take it right <laughs> well and especially death guard infantry because all of the choppy infantry we have a choppy infantry characters yeah, are going to be two fair. plus anyway so you're really only using the uh, mortal wounds back on a four plus part of the uh, relic. Um, so I'm going to go back into the Imperium. This is a weird list for me <laughs> of my favorite models because there are two things from the Imperium on it. And uh, I sure don't consider myself that much of an Imperium player. Um, but I think that the Tech Priest Dominus 
has to get my vote for uh, my second favorite unit in the game. Uh, and I am actually going <laughs> to pause here for a second to say I play orcs. Orcs are my favorite army in the game. I like most of the lore for orcs. Um, I like all of the models in the range. Uh, if there was a model that was going to make it on this list, which very, very nearly did, it would be a Death Dread. But uh, orcs are a little bit of an older yeah. range for the most part. You know, kind of the newest stuff we have is the Orktober buggies, which are excellent. Um, but my favorite models from the Orktober buggies uh, kind of range, uh, I don't think quite get the job yeah. done on the tabletop. So it's hard for me to pick it as an overall best unit. But I do want to say orcs have my favorite model range in the game. Just none of them quite the rules married to the model clinch mm, yeah. a spot on my list. Uh, so diving into Admech, though, boy, is the Tech Priest <laughs> Dominus a good HQ unit. And uh, boy, is he aesthetically, I think, maybe my favorite model in the game. You know, it is, uh, we talked about uh, previously, you know, it's such a direct transition or a translation of yeah. a John Blanche sketch yeah. into a model. Um, I've seen a million different ways people have painted them up, you know, from very grim dark to very kind of brighter GW house style. It's almost a model that's hard to make yeah. it look bad aesthetically. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, these neon kind of paint jobs and stuff, and it looks great. It looks cool. I, I, I think it's also for me, sorry, the tech priest dominus strikes a nice balance. So like call, for example, is wildly complex. And I think the overburden on him goes too far. Like there are just too many details in call, but the tech priest dominus dials it back a little bit. And, and that hits a nice chord for me. I mean, I could quibble like the flat top head. I'm not a big fan of that one. But by and large, <laughs> by and large, it's a fantastic kit. Yeah, Call was actually originally on my list because I, I know that I like the model for Call more than you like the model for Call. The I do like the Dominus more aesthetically. And I think that if you're running Mars, you can't argue rules-wise that Call mm -hmm. is one of the best units in the game. Um. I mean, maybe a little less good with chapter masters, et cetera, yeah. kind of taking his thunder as far as how his rerolls work. But the fact that call is limited to Mars, I think really limits his utility because I think that Mars is one of the least interesting forge worlds, uh, narratively and, uh, yeah. rules wise you can take because Mars's rules are very much right. like, Oh, do more admech. You know, you get an extra canical, uh, you know, calls big warlord trade if you want to make him your warlord is that his aura goes up three inches and it's good. Sure. It's just not exciting. Whereas the Domini <laughs> can be, or Dominus can be made uh, to fill all kinds of roles in your army. I mean, obviously the main thing they're going to sure. do is be your reroll one buffers. But they do hit hard enough that stuff like, um, I forget the name of the relic, but uh, Lucius, the Forge World, uh, your relic is you can teleport uh, up to 30 inches anywhere on the battlefield. You know, sure. the usual caveats, nine inches away, etc. 
But a tech priest dominus is, I think, beefy enough to threaten things like mortar teams or for tanks to be worried about tagging him. You know, they come with a native two-up save, so even something like a backfield uh, space marine objective holding unit is not going to do too much to threaten them yeah. without some extra attention being paid. And I think that that is uh, uh, kind of rare, at least for me and the armies that I play. We don't have a lot of uh, we don't have a lot of units that are good for their buffs, but also yeah. good enough on their own. Like orc war bosses, I consider their buffs <laughs> to be almost non-existent. You know, they allow us to advance and charge, but every like really good close combat unit in the game gets that <laughs> as an ability anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, obviously, it's an important buff for orcs. But also, defensively, war bosses kind of fall down. Like sure. if a war boss gets caught out at all, he's dead. Um, like outside of doing to kill a claw orc-shaped missile uh, with the jump, I wouldn't really choose to throw my war boss anywhere by himself because a four-up armor save and toughness five is going to see or toughness six no toughness five is going to see a foot Absolutely. war boss crumble pretty quickly trying yeah. to be a backfield disruptor by himself. Um, and uh, the other thing is, is I think uh, it kind of goes back to aesthetics, but it also goes back to the lore. Um, I think the Dominus sums up the ad mech really, really well narratively, which is important to me when I'm putting an army together. Uh, you know, they, um, their right. personalities can be very different. Uh, the, oh gosh, the game is just called Adeptus Mechanicus. I can't think of the studio who made it, yeah. but the computer game that came out like last year, kind of a little XCOM light, uh, in the story parts of the game, they do a really good job with, uh, having the different tech priests from different worlds under different dogmas and belief systems have a ton of personality and it's actually one of the things that made me finally decide to pull the trigger on starting to collect the army so i think it fills all three categories for me it does feel the narrative slash lore category it feels it fills the rules category and it definitely far and away fills the yeah he's uh, he's a neat choice um i briefly dabbled in admac i'm getting out of it now uh, mostly because I, I got into it because the models are really neat and I'm getting out of it because I don't need another shooting focused Imperial army, but um, it's, it's a great, that, that <laughs> model in particular is really neat. I mean, the, when I was playing, it's been a hot minute since I've looked at his points cost, but it was just because he has a special pistol. He has a special non-pistol gun. Uh, he's got a special melee weapon. So it's kind of like this guy it's like you said, he can do a lot of different things. He provides a buff and, you know, GW costing is typically not kind to generalists. And when I was playing, he was a little bit steep, but other than that, yeah, solid. He's, he's taken a, he's taken a drop, I think, in one of the last two chapter approves, which made him a little yeah. more approachable. Uh, most of the admec lists that I have drawn up right now are running to Domini. Um, you also, uh, it's funny that you say that you are good now because you have too many shooting armies. Uh, I brought this up in chat a little bit uh, in our kind of our, our little group of friends, but uh, 
I I finally pulled the trigger on Admech because I said <laughs> I need a shooting army. I got out of Imperial Guard, and all I have now are Orcs and Death Guard, and Death Guard are kind of this weird, non-combat, non-shooting, mid-range, okay amount right. of firepower, but Death Guard kind of hang around. You know, it's really our power there. And my Orcs are definitely a, a combat army. Any guns I have bolted on are, <laughs> I don't know, a little Christmas bonus. Right. Outside of maybe like Tank Busters. But, um... I was like, okay, guys, I think it's time. I'm pulling the trigger. It's Admech. Uh, here's my shooting army. And uh, when people were like, Logan, what did you put in your army? Is it going to be Cataphrons? Is it going to be the Castellans with the triple phosphor blasters? And I was like, <laughs> well, I'm going to take the Castellans with the fists. I'm going to take the punchy priests. I'm going to take, uh, yeah. uh, I'm not going to use the models, of course, but uh, I'm going to take the punchy priests. I'm going to take uh, infiltrators. <laughs> I'm even going to put some rust stalkers in there. I think I got about five models deep before I pick <laughs> something that comes with a real gun. So um, I am going to have a uh, close combat admech <laughs> army that I will refer to as my shooting army. Hey man, some of the uh, infantry has plasma it's guns. the infiltrators, right? They can take the flechette blasters. Those things are pretty mean. Five. Uh, well, and I'm actually really psyched about the little Da Vinci guys. They just, uh, as of recording this about a week ago, they previewed the guns. And those are the same profile with a lar- longer range. It's yeah, five. Yeah. I think it's assault five for them. And uh, 24 inch range, strength three, which doesn't set the world on fire. But if you want to say run Mars, just yeah. like with the infiltrators and do wrath of yeah. Mars. I mean, that's that's always been the play with those guys. Like anything with a super high rate of fire, whether it be a big footprint of the triple phosphor Castellans or, you know, a whole bunch of infiltrators of the flechette blasters. It's like, I honestly don't care what the weapon profile is because I'm going to use it to fish for mortal wounds. <laughs> So I just need a whole bunch of shots, buddy. Yep, yep. <laughs> and and even, you know, uh, the other factions outside of Mars who don't obviously have the Stratagem Wrath of Mars, I can tell you from having put 80 guard infantry at times with first rank, second rank on the table, you just get enough strength three fire lined up at one time against, you know, enemy infantry units primarily, but uh, also, you know, maybe yeah. lower toughness vehicles like a Venom or something. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you'll take care of them. So uh, let's go ahead. And well, uh, that's a good segue, actually, because uh, backing up to Tech Priest Dominus, you know, a lot of the individuals in the Adeptus Mechanicus start to disassemble themselves, casting away the organic fleshy bits and augmenting themselves with other things that they consider superior, you know, not part of their normal anatomy, but has some sort of increased function. Uh, my second pick... <laughs> my oh, second pick does something. similar things uh, my second pick is grotesques so in the lore the homunculus covens who are a subset of the dark eldar are depraved flash flesh crafters extraordinaire they have these passion projects that are basically like i'm gonna make something to do a specific job and it's gonna be equal parts art and science so the ideal grotesque should be made from the most refined quote-unquote ingredients that real space has to offer. For those of you who are not familiar with the lore, that means people. Uh, They should be utterly loyal, utterly fearless, (laughs) and utterly lethal. 
if simultaneously being utterly direct and utterly uncreative, because for the most part, these are lobotomized organic automata that have just had their physiques altered to be grotesquely strong, durable, and unstoppable. So really the, the part of grotesque that I like is that they're a tool of intimidation more than a true weapon. So and, and actually, in that vein, they might even be intimidation directed more towards the homunculi's followers and rivals than their intended victims in real space. Because then a grotesque attack is mercifully short, but you see the things walking around if you're in any way in truck with these homunculi. Uh, but ultimately, a grotesque is made from humanoid body parts. So it has to run on two legs. It has to commit murder with two arms. And it doesn't have much of a brain because it needs to be utterly loyal. So it's a monster, but it's a humanoid monster. It's easy to compare these guys to Frankenstein's monster, Mary Shelley's uh, legendary piece of literature. But if the, the similarities are obvious, but I think they're only skin deep. Um, grotesques are a very cruel and very deliberate, but very limited Frankenstein's monster. So... You, you can talk about Victor Frankenstein's motivations. Those are totally different from the motivations of the homunculi in creating grotesques. So it's interesting because I think if you compare Frankenstein's monster to a grotesque, uh, each one of them is in its way both more and less horrific than the other. But in any case, a grotesque is very 40K. Body horror is very common in the lore. Yeah, they're almost that's kind a good of like way to sum it up. Frankenstein. So if we move on to the rules, uh, keen listeners are going to um, note that these guys have pretty have some similarities in common with Wolfen, and you're going to say, well, John, why would you hate Wolfen and like grotesques? They both have mediocre speed. They don't synergize particularly well with the transport vehicles that are available. Uh, they can't fly or have any alternative movement things. Um they're both blenders versus infantry. They both have relatively poor defenses, so grotesques fall back on a five-up invulnerable save. They're one of the few things that has a worth, worse armor save than their invul. Um, and their toughness five, which is a nice bright point, but it's certainly not a tank. Um, but that's basically where the similarities end between grotesques and wolfen. So grotesques have absolute piles of wounds, very similar to the bulgrin that we just talked about. I mean, a grotesque now has four wounds. So, so you're talking about even things that are flat three damage, um, you know, Armager Helverins or the, the autocannon war dogs, they have a flat three damage autocannon, uh, which is basically the gun that take off the top of the Predator battle tank strapped onto their arm. They've got two of them. Um, mm-hmm. So even that thing with its flat three damage would pick up lots of models out there that are man size, man shape, but not grotesques. Even, you need two shots from that thing to kill a grotesque, which is absurd. Um, well, and very interestingly in combat, talking about other good combat units, especially yeah. for the Imperium, yeah. Thunderhammer. If you get phenomenally lucky, damage. you can even, with your six-up Feel No Pain from Power From Pain, you can shrug off two Thunderhammer wounds, which is, even if you fail to save, pretty gross. Um. So they, in, in contrast to the Wolf, and again, they can need oversight from an HQ unit. So in earlier editions of the game, um, 
they had phenomenally low leadership. I think the aberration, which was the sergeant equivalent that they used to have, was leadership four, and the regular grotesque was leadership three. <laughs> in, no, in, in earlier editions. Is that an eighth, um, or are you saying an and, earlier edition? And they also had a special rule where, like, if oh, they took damage God. of any kind <laughs> and they didn't have an HQ unit attached as an independent character, they could go berserk and, like, explode. So they would die, but they would do wounds to the things around them. Um, we have mercifully moved away from those days, uh, but they definitely benefit in this edition from having the plus one toughness or plus one strength bonus uh, from a homunculus or from Yuri and Raykarth, respectively, uh, at least against certain targets. So, for example, uh, going from toughness five to toughness six is very important against Imperial Guard because now LAS guns do half damage to you effectively, which is pretty gross. Um, well, and also all the all the heavy bolters, yeah. ones that are out. Yeah, there, I will take that all day long. I mean, heavy bolters. Um, no, though the the downside to that is that the heavy bolters just get pointed at your venoms instead. <laughs> sure, I mean venoms are what I aim for, but I have a real. <laughs> You're welcome. So Grotesque can get synergy with the Webley Portal stratagem, which is another thing that's unavailable to Wolfen. So these guys can pop up uh, just over nine inches away on a turn when they're getting re-rolls to wound along with the, or sorry, re-rolls to charge along with the rest of the army. So that uh, definitely helps to stick the charge out of Deep Strike. And I think the, the biggest takeaway rules-wise for Grotesques is they are especially potent versus low leadership models, uh, which, you know, given that my analysis of Grotesques lore-wise is that they're really a tool for intimidation more than they're action, they are an actual weapon. Back in the day when sweeping advance was a mechanic that existed, you could pile a succubus into a unit of Grotesques, and so suddenly your leadership nine and initiative nine on the, the unit. So if your grotesques murder a whole bunch of guardsmen, or uh, I should say a combined guard infantry squad, which could blob up to 30 or 40 dudes, um, your grotesques could easily flatten 10 of them, you know, but then you've got some character around there uh, making them stubborn or something. Well, the succubus can uh, encourage them to run away. And then with initiative nine, just the whole unit's going to get picked up. So you don't have to pick through the guys uh, one by one. We don't have Sweeping Advance anymore here in 8th edition, but um, what we do have is Battleshock. And if you lose uh, sort of a similar situation, uh, Grotesque now have five attacks each. You can choose what four of those five attacks are with. The fifth attack's always with their Super Chainsword equivalent, but um, you know they've got some AP. They only ever do one damage, which is the real limiting factor on there. And so I think that also ties in the lore. They're not great at flipping battle tanks, but they're going to kill you some infantry if they pile in there. And anything that is not absolutely fearless is going to have a real tough time sticking around in combat with them. So I think the rules... The, grotesques are not the, the most hardcore competitive unit. They're not going to tear up tables, but their rules are enough to see play and they sell the lore. So get an A plus for me in that regard. Yeah, I agree. They are, uh, the homunculus covens <laughs> may be unsurprising because I like Admech so much. 
Uh, you know, I like anything where you start to add <laughs> things on people plus horrifying yep, extension is one of my favorite things in 40 K. Um, that's why space Marines don't quite do it for me. Maybe they just have their, uh, power armor plugs inserted and in, like an extra gland or all of the space Marine stuff is so dope to get. Like if you offered me some of the extra space Marine stuff today, I'd be like, I'll fucking spit it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'll take muscle that's six times as dense as it's supposed to sure. be. Sure. Um, but, you know, if a homunculus comes calling in his weird meat coat, you know, and is like, hey, do you want to graft a cheetah arm in between your shoulder blades? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, I'm cool. This is horrifying. <laughs> or, you know, if the admec were like, hey, uh, we noticed that your legs look slow. Do you want fast jump pistons installed and i'm like well no i think that make make it hard to like chase after and play with my kids (laughs) without kicking through the tile in my floor um i've only actually seen them like twice personally in action in eighth edition and one time i watched them absolutely mill through some guard infantry yeah uh fortunately it wasn't my guard it was a table (laughs) Uh, and then I watched them like it was just a sad, grotesque last samurai moment as the guy playing them was not aware of the eliminators, uh, codex space Marine overwatch rule yeah. where they can overwatch and then scoot back. However many inches bastards. <laughs> well, and it was, it was a tournament. It was a little store thing. It was, uh, I think I was busy at the time actually being, uh, decimated by, uh, the new Imperial fist. <laughs> But I wanted to lean over and be like, hey, homie, don't charge these guys. It's going to be a bad idea. It's going to turn out real bad for you guys. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the guy playing Space Marines probably would have broken his brain <laughs> open. Because um, he's one of the top ITC players, I think, at the time for Space Marines. And he was like, oh, let me roll down to this little store tournament and show these guys. <laughs> Where somebody's playing with like a second edition model Necron. Or right, something. right. Um. But uh, I do like them a lot. I think, obviously, for the GW model, they they suffer from the mono pose. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that the pose they have for their mono pose is the best. Yeah. So I, I definitely have a, a section prepared on the model. But, I mean, you basically hit the nail on the head. The, the reason that his pose is weird, I think, is because they're trying to convey this aesthetic that is both brutal but also agile. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most of the Dark Eldar range, that would be on point. Grotesques to me have never been, I mean, they're, they're not even made from Eldar stock in most cases, right? There's a whole story about how the homunculus covens want Tau Ethereals to make some fleshcrafted monstrosity and they propose a deal. They're like, we'll stop murdering all of your fire warriors. If you give us four ethereals and the tall are like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And so then these, you know, terrible raiding parties sweep down at night and call a 10th of their army. And then they send another message. Like we told you guys, give us the ethereals and we'll stop <laughs> killing all of your people. And they're like, no, we can't do it. So I don't think that necessarily the agility has ever been a sticking point for grotesques in my mind. If if they get a movement bonus over normal infantry, I think it's because they're 50% taller and therefore their legs are 50% longer than a normal person's legs. <laughs> right. Yeah, they've always, to me, like my imagining of them has always been more meat cleaver than rapier. Sure. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of the model either. Um, you know... I could boil down all of my complaints uh, 
other than style, I mean, it's possible that some of these were deliberate decisions, but I really think that the monopose grotesque model is a poster child for the limitations of fine cast. Yeah, it's really surprising to me that things keep coming out as fine cast. I mean, obviously no like major, major kits, but uh, some of the cool little guard characters and stuff popping up as fine cast is killing. Yeah, it, it sort of breaks the brain. I mean, mercifully, I think we are out of that era for anything like uh, other than what you're talking about you know one-off characters that are not essential to play the army those sort of limited edition things they're still going to do in resin but um thankfully the core unit being fine cast is a, a day of the past so i mean ultimately this is all why i made my own grotesque models that i will continue to field with joy and glee <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to facing Rafts when he gets them off the ground. Um, I, part of me wishes I still played guard so that I could uh, bulgarn through a bunch of... <laughs> Trust me, because, uh, this you've got better they're... targets this for them why... than the Grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, if I'm not in a tournament, a uh, you could call it a tactical mistake, but it's really on purpose... Uh, I love to run the Bulgrin at my opponent's most precious and beloved close combat <laughs> to uh, see what happens. Right. Um, the last time I did field them right before I got out of guard, uh, there was another player who had brought seven Bulgrin uh, to my nine, and he brought them into charge range. And uh, the thing he said to me out loud with his human mouth was, well, if Bulgren charge Bulgren, it's just going to be a big grind-out fight in the middle of the table forever. <laughs> oh, you sweet uh, summer child. <laughs> yeah, so we took out the rest of his Bulgren, and then my Bulgren, or we took all seven out in one charge, and uh, he also wasn't supporting his with a priest and a psyker. Oh my god, why? I don't, I think people, uh, you know, at Adepticon 2019, Stephen and I, uh, who I played doubles yeah. with, uh, we played a Magnus, Morty, Bash Brothers doubles list. And um, these guys were playing Admech plus Guard, and the Guard portion was really just like Hydras and Bulgren, which uh, it was mystifying to me that you would bring Imperial right. Guard. And uh, the Bulgren, yes, uh, but Hydras would be the thing you pulled out of the Guard Wow. Board. Um, but the Bulgren they did, uh, cause it was right after Brandon Grant, you know, had just won LVO with Bulgren. So I think a lot of people were just coming onto the Bulgren right. train and they had heard all of the good things about Bulgren and they'd said, Oh my God, these guys can survive anything. And they hit like a truck and blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, they're mortal ogres, you know, you still have to screen them and treat them appropriately and support right. them. But so these guys had no uh, screen in front of them. They put the Bulgren out Oof. front. They had no priests. They had no psychic support. So no minus one to hit, no plus one to armor and invulnerable saves through psychic barrier. Um, so they put them out front and they they went first and their shooting really decimated. Both of our, my Primarch died. I was uh, running Magnus. Steven's Mortarian was left on one wound. <laughs> Uh, but was still able to come in and psychic the Bulgren so hard and uh, Phosphex bomb them with his grenades and then get into them and have uh, the exploding death to the false emperors that then explode into three right. more hits rather than one more if you do right. sweep attack. And with none of the psychic support, which again, they had just finished going first, so they could have had it all up and running. 
uh, I think a one wound Mortarian killed something like uh, five or six. <laughs> and the look on this guy's face, because it was the game one of the doubles tournament, was very much like, uh, but my right. <laughs> And I assume they were LVO purchase Bulgren because the guy was like telling me like, oh, I was up all night, like finishing the stripes on their shields sure. and stuff like that. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, man, you're going to have a good day with these things. Uh, you know, I ran them in the, uh, in the GT yesterday and the day before, um, or maybe, no, just yesterday, just yesterday. Um, four games in one day feels like two games terrible. Days, or two it's days. It's just terrible. <laughs> oh my, I wore, I wore like pretty casual shoes for that because it is a bare concrete event yeah. hall. And by game four, uh, the concrete felt like it was pushing up through my shoes, like actively fighting the bones. That was terrible. Feet. I mean, I'm I'm generally pretty good at standing around on my feet, but I was envious even in game one of the second day of our team tournament. Uh, the Fordrill Columbia guys, if you remember, we played against them, and they had brought anti-fatigue mats to stand on the whole time. That was a fucking genius idea. <laughs> they were the uh, all-work yeah. team, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I actually remember talking to the guy. I was like, I have this exact same mat in my kitchen. <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, we've been coming to Adepticon like four yeah. years or whatever. And, you know, you got to you gotta have these. Yeah. But uh, speaking of things I would never bring to a grand tournament. <laughs> uh, and speaking of bolting stuff, uh, human plus horrifying attachment. Bolting a horrifying attachment. We've got a lot of that going on today. <laughs> <laughs> well mine is the uh not necessarily bolted on but uh certainly a lot of horrifying things attached to a human chassis uh is pox <laughs> um and i'm gonna say this right out of the gate if you don't think that pox walkers are a good unit you're <laughs> right. because they were written with a specific rule set in mind and then jerks abused one stratagem and as GW did in the very earliest days of 8th, they said, we need to fundamentally change the way that this unit <laughs> operates. Instead of saying, we need to change this one stratagem, and it should probably be 3 or 4 CP instead of 1. I just, the huge swings that GW took early in the edition, I mean, that's its whole own discussion. Right. But uh, I think Poxwalkers are one of the worst victims yeah, of that. Yeah, that's fair. But I'll start where I like to start and say aesthetically, uh, I can't think of a single other horde unit in the game. You know, anything made to be run 40 plus models on the table minimum, even if across different units, that has the same level of detail that Poxwalkers <laughs> have. And I know that they are not that popular with people who like the old plague zombies. I actually... You and I have not talked a lot aesthetically about Poxwalkers, which is surprising. So I don't know where you fall on them aesthetically. I want uh, to like them. Um, so the the whimsical aspect of Nurgle is the only thing about Nurgle that really turns me away. And these guys embrace that in spades. But I will say that they they seem like a model that was designed knowing that contrast paints were right over the horizon. Yeah, they are one of the first things I thought of when I saw contrast paints doing skin tone and bone tones. And, and 40 pustules on one model, yeah. 
Um, you know, and I, I kind of paint them almost in a contrast paint style because I do uh, probably 70% of the paint job yeah. in washes. Um, I do get very sad, again, when I pop onto the Death Guard Reddit fairly often. Um, people have blobbed like one to two wash colors onto a pox walker. And there's a lot of guys with like purple Man. skin or something. Um, and I get it. You have to paint a horde. Like, uh, my whole 40k experience has been painting <laughs> hordes. Despite when I first started, I was like, I should get into Grey Knights because it's like 17 <laughs> models or something. But, uh, you know, I've painted 85 guardsmen. Um, over a hundred, if you count stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I painted a hundred and forty termagants when I played <laughs> Tyranids. I painted eighty-five gene stealers or eighty-five new gene stealers. I painted about thirty-five old, uh, like second edition yeah. gene stealers. Um, Poxwalkers. I've now painted like eighty. I painted a hundred and thirty <laughs> Necron warriors. I painted, you know, fifty-five immortals or something like that, or fit thirty-five immortals and twenty death marks. Um, so I painted a lot of horde, and they are the best time that I've had painting horde because they do take yeah, washes so well. I can well. see that. So it's a it's a very easy like prime white color block. Uh, so it's actually this is a category we don't talk a lot about uh, when we are talking about favorite units or favorite models or least favorite, etc. Um, but they hobby really yeah. well, Poxwalkers. Uh, you can kind of with each individual Poxwalker take as much or as little time as you want, and as long as you're staying in the rough color palette of your army, he'll be fine yeah. in the horde. Because I've definitely had days where I have jammed out some flesh wash and color blocked out the metallics and the cloth and called it a day. Maybe, you know, dry brush a little bit of riser rust on the metals or something. Um, I've also definitely put tiny veins onto a pustule <laughs> or 16 pustules on one guy. Uh, and I will say, I don't think I've missed one yet. I'm sure, I'm sure I have, maybe one or two. But... I have painted every goddamn Poxwalker <laughs> so far. And we're going to keep the trend alive. So I have now painted hundreds yeah, of Yeah, true accomplishment. Yeah, that's why I got into the hobby. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a little bit sadistic but, uh, for GW to put so much uh, detail on a six-point model. I mean, even if it you know surfs around to different points values. I mean, I have painted over 40 cultists. And with the actual, you know, original Dark Vengeance and now the the 10 model, whatever, Care 5 model for 10 bucks kit or whatever it is, um, those those cultists five, have yeah. a ton of detail. And I think the Poxwalkers have even more than that. And I would want to shoot someone if I painted that many Poxwalkers. <laughs> you know, Death Guard are the force... Um that walk right up onto the line of the newer GW sculpts for me in terms of a great amount of detail versus yeah. too much detail. Um, there are definitely a couple of Poxwalker models that I've painted uh, where I've then realized I have to go back and pick out like 17 <laughs> maggots in a spot that I missed where I'm like, why is the maggot crawling out of the bottom of the pant cuff on the inside right, of the right. right leg? This is a place where you do not need detail. Uh, well, and they are they are also the king that I think is uh, uh, anybody who doesn't absolutely like, let's just say blob on contrast or just spray wash and go. GW or uh, not GW, but 40K is the hobby of painting details that yeah, no one else sure. will ever see. 
you know, uh, our friend Raph paints the inside that of the Rhino consoles and paints <sighs> the bulker that's on a rack. <laughs> Him painting them I or the fact both. that they exist? I'm with you. I'm a guy who glued his drop pod <laughs> shut because I was like, oh, you want me to paint like a tactical harness yeah. inside? Fuck <laughs> off. Um, but I do paint every little maggot coming out of a pant leg. I can't help myself. Because uh, I know right. that they're there. Um, but I will say that uh, Poxwalkers are the um, the king for me of uh, how I build lists. Uh, they are kind of my best example, which is to say I pick a model that is the reason that I collect an army. And Poxwalkers are absolutely <laughs> that for Death Guard. Because while I like Plague Marines, I like Blightlord Terminators, I love Fetid Bloat Drones... Um, I think the Lord of Contagion looks cool. I think that the Noxious Blightbringer looks cool. Uh, the Plague Surgeon looks awesome. Uh, they have yeah. a lot of good models. But I do not like Power <laughs> Armor that much. I don't like the aesthetics of it. I think it's rounded and chunky and it's boot cut. It's not my favorite thing. I like the Death Guard Power Armor the most, right. but I don't like it that much. But zombies with a bunch of weird bone protrusions and arms that are turning into <laughs> tentacles and two fingers that merge into one tentacle that wrap around their little scrap hammer uh, that I can put all the blood for the blood god I can handle on. Those are awesome. Right. Looking. They are not good <laughs> in the game of 40k. Um. I own like 130. I'm going to end up with over 150 because I want some of the uh, easy to build guys for variety. I figure I'm going to end up with, uh, it's like six that are different from the ones that come in Dark Imperium right. and the other starting kits. Uh, I figure I'll end up with four or five of those yeah. boxes for variety's sake to make the, the hordes yeah. less samey samey. But uh, I've built my entire Death Guard army around making poxwalkers work as well as they can work um i hope that in a ninth edition or in a death guard codex update or something poxwalkers are given some reasonable way to expand above their original squad size because i do think that's kind of the yeah. original gimmick of them uh the stratagem was busted. You know, the fact that you can make them untargetable and then you put a thousand cultists around them and then you get a thousand <laughs> right. poxwalkers on the table. Obviously that shouldn't exist, but don't destroy the unit for it. Um, but, you know, uh, model-wise, these are kind of my favorite thing that's come out since the Admech release. Like, of all the, the stuff, I love the humble, gross-looking little cheerful zombies because, uh, I mean, it is... The difference in our, our aesthetic <laughs> delights. Um, I love a smiling, happy plague zombie. <laughs> you know, I like that they all have rictus grins like the Joker and stuff. Um, I Weirdly, I like all the kind of uh, fun, jovial part of Nurgle in the Death Guard and the new Nurgle demon characters and stuff like that. I don't like it as much in orcs, which seems to be why everybody it collects orcs. But, uh, you know, we all have our weird nitpicks yeah. from factory. I, I like it more in orcs, but certainly you are not alone in liking that aspect of Nurgle. No, I think it is uh, from people that have, like, seen me put uh, Death Guard models on the table. People instantly start talking about, like, oh, do you have a sloppity <laughs> bile piper? I don't think they know that he doesn't do anything <laughs> for Death Guard. <laughs> but he's a model yeah, that people bring up yeah. a lot to me. I hate that model. 
so much. <laughs> See, and I, I love the Sloppity Biopiper. I love that he has a uh, Julie Andrews and Sound of Music nurgling with his arms spread wide and his tongue hanging out like a dog sitting out of a car window. Um, I'm into that part of Nurgle, but if one more person, when I have my orcs on the table, strolls up to start telling me that anything that an orc <laughs> believes becomes the truth, and that's why orcs are the best, I'm going to crawl underneath the table and refuse to come out <laughs> until they leave the game store. You know... I am, of course, imagining a utopia where we're all allowed to go back and play in game stores. Yeah, and well, it's coming, but not quickly. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and roll with, into with my before we roll into my third choice real quick. My last word on Poxwalkers is I would like them a whole lot better if they were all posed from Michael Jackson's Thriller Dance. <laughs> that is, uh, uh, if they were a little bit more posable, um, I think a, at least a twenty-man squad of Thriller Poxwalkers would put them over the top. Uh, probably into number they, two they would one need a sergeant option so that I can have my MJ model with his shiny red leather uh, right at the front Jerry curled and glorious well that's just a from what I remember of the thriller video that's <laughs> a woman, right? it's a you know he transforms guy. he's a transformer all right so <laughs> the my third pick is a little bit of an homage to our first recording uh, where I said that a unit that I love to hate is the Relic Contemptor Dreadnought, largely because of the way people have posed him. My favorite pick here, my last favorite pick, sure. is the Dreadnought. And it's cheating a little bit, because there is not just one Dreadnought, obviously. There is a whole range of Dreadnoughts. But the common thread binding them together is that it is a mortally wounded great warrior who is presented with an awful chance at second life interred in a weaponized sarcophagus for all time, never to die, never to tire, trapped in the horror of eternal war. But oh boy, what a sarcophagus. It's tough if it's slow. Um, it can wage war with both steel and flame with a few outliers that pick one or the other. Um, there are character options for your great half-dead heroes, such as Librarian or Chaplain Dreadnoughts, which is fitting uh, that they get special models and special rules the oldest dreadnoughts were around in the days of the horus heresy or even before and so they know how far humanity has fallen and are prevented from speaking the dread secrets that they know they have quite literally taken these secrets to their living graves so dreadnoughts are a constant reminder of the horror of life in the 41st millennium they're grimdark they're awesome <laughs> I don't disagree. Um, I, uh, you know, actually also speaking to our uh, three least favorite models, something that was a runner-up for me, kind of tied with the Orc Death Dread, was the Space Wolf Venerable Dreadnought with uh, Frost Axe yeah. and Blizzard Shield. Um, I think that's such a cool model. Uh, they really nailed like making a Space Wolf vehicle stand out as something very uh, Space Wolfy, and I think the same kit yeah. builds Murderfang or Bjorn. And uh, Bjorn, I can kind of take or leave. I think I don't like the way his claw looks, but Murderfang also looks incredible. 
Like, uh, I, how good I liked the venerable is? one. I think I, I'm having trouble remembering it exactly, but it's much more on the Viking aesthetic than on the wolf aesthetic. I think there's a pelt somewhere, but it's very much in the way like a, a Viking warrior might have worn a wolf pelt just to stay warm, right? Yeah, the pelt on it fits in really well with yeah. like, the pelts on the Wolfguard Terminators. It's not it's not too wolfy. Um, there's a ton of like runes, and uh, I always like it when stuff from the Imperium, be it Space Wolf or anything else, at least for uh, Space Marines. I mean, I always like it when it's really uh, like encrusted with kind of iconography and. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll I'll definitely get to that to when I talk about my review of the Dreadnought model or models. Um, aside for the rules really quickly, uh, again, I'm cheating a bit. So there are a whole bunch of different dreadnoughts. Some of them fall prey to what I would call generalist syndrome. We talked about it a little bit on the last few shows, including this one. Um, they're somewhat durable. They're somewhat shooty. They're somewhat punchy, but they're not necessarily great at any one of these things. And so it's, it's hard to cost them effectively. Others, on the other hand, are just terrors on the tabletop. I mean, at various points in 8th edition, Derrideo and Leviathan Dreadnoughts of certain ilk have been causing great furor online. Yeah, and, and so I actually like the rules for Dreadnoughts that give buffs to nearby units. Um, Chaplain Dreadnoughts being able to chant litanies is flavorful if it does kind of break the game and i think the big problem with chaplain dreadnoughts is that they're a hidden two las cannons but um for example the i i really wish the the captain bubble uh wisdom of the ancients or whatever it is the one cp thing that gives rerolls of one to wound around a dreadnought i wish you could just pay for a more expensive dreadnought that did that all the time you didn't have to spend command points i think that would be great yeah, I think more armies getting an HQ Dreadnought choice would be cool. Yeah, Maybe a I mean, Chaos Hellbrutes, um, I, I said Dreadnought sort of as a category. I meant to include the Chaos versions as well, but the rules on Chaos Hellbrutes are particularly a mixed bag. It's like you amplified the, the winners and the losers of the uh, Loyalist Dreadnought range because it's like the, the Chaos Leviathan gets a, a better Storm Cannon and a lot of situations than the the loyalist version but the chaos hellbrute is worse in many ways than the most humble of loyalist regular dreadnoughts right yeah i think there's i i ran it in one or two uh smaller tournaments at the beginning of eighth and if i won it was because i i won in spite of the hellbrute rather than because of him it was like i had 130 points or something didn't know what better to spend it on here's a hint i swapped it out for raptors later on and they did not impress but they impressed a lot more than a hellbrute (laughs) (laughs) well they were mostly just there so i I put a combi plasma and a plasma gun on there and they were just there to pop down and maybe blast something that plasma could threaten but also as a you know distant objective grabber and they, they grab objectives pretty well for like 110 points sure. or whatever that unit cost me. But So bottom line on the rules is that some of them represent the lore better than others. Um, and those don't always line up with the rules that are competitive. And so it's hard to be a Dreadnought fan, but I do think on the whole, the rules for Dreadnoughts are always in an interesting place. I, I agree with that. I do think um, 
I have somewhat of an issue with how many great Forge <laughs> World Dreadnoughts hit on a 2+. I think two plus has become way too ubiquitous sure. like within, especially like the Imperium range. Um, there's too many ways to get up to a two plus. I think with certain yeah. litanies on chaplains now, or and then you combine things like two plus with all of the chapter master rerolls and yeah. lieutenant rerolls and stuff like that, and it just starts to feel like um, almost like the <laughs> Imperial Guard leaf blowers of like fifth edition. Where I'm like, oh, you got two Leviathan Dreadnoughts and a Derrideo. There's a Chapter Master. So yeah, I'll, right. I'll start collecting exactly. Poxwalkers now. So to to jump back in with a point that you raised earlier, uh, the models. So again, because there are so many Dreadnoughts, it's it's hard to say for sure. I think most of the models do sell the concept of an armored walking coffin. Um, and again, this is a place where I would like to see more chaos options. I think it's ironic that the Blood Slaughterer and the Decimator are better designs than most true Hellbrutes, even though they're they're like very dreadnought adjacent, right? Yeah, that's actually my big problem with the most effective rules wise chaos dreadnoughts is it doesn't make sense for me, for instance, for my Death Guard army yeah, to have such a pristine looking Leviathan. So unless I want to do a lot of my own conversions, I kind of have this thing that must have got yeah right from the days of the Horus Heresy. <laughs> so um, the best models of the range, in my opinion, go back to what you said, Logan, earlier. Um, the best models look like a walking church, or perhaps I should say a walking mausoleum, reflecting the honor of the hero inside, and that ties in with the mm -hmm. the runic iconography on the venerable space wolf dreadnought. And simultaneously, the best models convey that somewhere trapped underneath all of that is the remains of a man, cognizant but broken beyond belief. So the either the ones that have a helmet inside the pulpit on the front, you know, barely visible, or something else. So the basic Dreadnought just has like a plate with a sculpture on there and a slot for him to look through. And those are the ones that I like the least. Mm -hmm. I like the ones with sort of a head hidden somewhere looking out at you. I always, when I see the older, like, you know, the, the kind of monopose almost, Battle for Macrag, Dreadnought, yeah. and stuff still floating around in a few armies, uh, I always feel <laughs> bad for that right. honored hero who got interred. And they're like, fuck you, you get one eagle. And then he's standing next to, like, a space wolf thing. It's like, you got ten runes, you got wolf pelts. Uh, you, we've put a bone sculpture yeah. as a, as a ba back banner for you. Because um, I had a couple of the really plain ones when I played Blood Angels briefly uh, next to like Librarian Dreadnoughts and Death Company Dreadnoughts. And those might do almost the best job, I think, in the game right. of selling like a hero's tomb. Right. Yeah, the Blood Angels ones are fantastic. As a man who plays Blood Angels myself, I have a few of those. <laughs> John, you play 47 arms, and I've seen you field two in all of the time that I have uh, crossed paths. I feel like you were always running a, uh, uh, an Eldar combination at the store tournaments. And then we played... Uh, oh, you know what? This is actually interesting. For uh, two people who decided to start doing a 40K podcast together, we played one game of 40K against one another. Because we never got matched up at events. And then you did not have the list, and I did not have the list to like do a right. practice game at Adepticon when we both went, because you were playing in the uh, 
uh, Gallant GT, and yeah. I was playing in the GT GT, and I don't think that Triple Tank Commander <laughs> would have been the kind Somewhat of... Somewhat ungallant, shall we say? To, uh, <laughs> was it Thousand Sons? Did you play... <laughs> it would be very ungallant. Uh, although I would argue that with all the infantry, it at least still looked like an army, unlike a lot of stuff that I saw... Well, I didn't rank very highly in the Gallant. Uh, the armies that I played were all very reasonable. Um, I, I went two and one, and even in my loss, I did not feel like the... I mean, it was Tyranids, which was slightly more competitive then, but um, you know, it, it wasn't even like the most hard-edged Tyranid list. He had clearly brought... like He had a... Tyranifex is the one with the really big face gun, right? Yeah, the really bigger exocrine. It's the dual kit with the um, the one that poops little babies. Uh, okay. Oh, so the he had one of those. Yeah, yeah, that is a terrain um, effects. But, so I, I just, I guess, didn't have the misfortune of playing them, but there were lists that I heard about from Raf and others in, in the Gallant that were just unholy terrors. Like one of them, I think, some Necron Super Heavy had just come out and it barely snuck under the power level limit that was allowed in this. And so apparently mm-hmm. it was like the rest of his army didn't even matter. He took his you know, piece of resin that was like a foot and a half long and just stomped around the whole table shooting and meleeing literally everything in his opponent's army to death. And it sort of just wasn't fun to play against. But um, yeah, I was, I'm secretly glad that we haven't played more games against each other because you're clearly a better player than I am. And I, I feel like our record would be disappointing to me in the extreme. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, I, well, we haven't played enough for me to say who maybe makes the better decisions or whatever in a game, but I will say that my, uh, record lately uh, for the games that I have played is abysmal. I think I'm like on a 45% yeah. win rate. Maybe I've like lost slightly more than I've won because I can't stop myself <laughs> from trying out new stupid ideas uh, where I'm like, what if I go all in on this? And then you play the game. And you're like, Oh, this is, that's not going to <laughs> work uh, 0% of the time. Um, but uh, I am starting to weirdly, maybe it's the quarantine and the fact that I haven't been able to play any 40K with anyone. I've been feeling that, that little, you know, that little itch in the back of your brain where I'm like, do I want to go to like a thing where I can set up on some tables and just kind of <laughs> bring the hardest army that I can field? Um, the only thing that's stopping me is I did look at the models that I have left since I got out of guard. And uh, there's not too much competition left in me, but I am really, really interested to see what uh, Pariah, uh-huh. I think it is going to be the Psychic Awakening that includes the Death Guard. Because I feel like either we're going to get Ugh. Dark Eldard or Gene Stealer Cult, right. which is to say we'll have nothing of note. Um, I mean, Gene Stealer Cult uh, might be the only faction I can think of that effectively got no help from their psychic away. Yeah, the, Dark the love was very minimal. With them. What? I mean, most of the changes for Dark Eldar were in chapter approved and they were mostly not positive. It was a sort of a side grade, which was very odd because chapter approved 2018 had no changes for Dark Eldar whatsoever. But to answer your question, our psychic awakening book gave build your own uh, obsessions which for Cabal was a total stinker 
mm-hmm. for Witch Cult and Homunculus Coven, there are some builds. I mean, I think Witch Cult's got an unmitigated buff because some of their stuff are things that really help them out, but I'm still not sure if it quite brings them up to real playability. Sure. The Homunculus Coven's... Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say which cult yeah. needed so more. So test of skill is the really big thing to write home about. It's the you get a plus one to wound on your witch cult units against anything with a wounds characteristic of ten or more. So it's made for like big monsters and vehicles, and that that's eminently applicable to like an air wing because you can take razor wings as witch cults. So it's like three three witch cult razor wings getting plus one to oh, wound right, against right. everything with a characteristic of 10 or higher is, is pretty decent, but it does nothing really to help your, you know, basic witches and reaver jet bikes and things like that. I mean, I know um, dreaded Archon Scari, who is one of the best dark Eldar players in the world has been doing very well recently in at least some formats with dark Eldar. But he's also one of those guys that yeah. was like... Doing well, well the Dark Eldar community, it's so. one of the reasons that I like Dark Eldar is because the community <laughs> is um, one of these... It is a community of players that, especially like at the end of 7th, would go to any length to figure out how to win with the tools that were available. And so if you took a real good Dark Eldar player and they actually learned how to play another army, they would absolutely floor you with it because they knew the ins and outs of the games and they knew like every little rules trick to squeeze the last bit of efficiency from almost any unit. And I never quite got there, but there are some real like um, Lawrence, you know, I mean, you, you can talk about how the, yeah. Yeah, his his play was incredible yeah. at the end of seven. He was the original, you know, thirty six Reaver Jet Bikes. <laughs> his quote on the matter was I've seen other people bring is something to oh. the effect of this, not verbatim, but it's, I've seen other people bring more Reaver Jet Bikes. And it seems like you can generally answer numbers uh, of, of the, the that other people are bringing. But I've yet to find someone who has a good answer for fully 36 Reaver Jet Bikes. And in 7th edition, that was like, yeah, that, that was a real statement. It was pretty funny. Uh, he did at the height of uh, kind of practicing to go to the LVO where he did really well with a mixed uh, Eldar list. You know, I think he brought yeah. a Wraith Knight and stuff to help out the uh, the uh, Reavers. But he did a um, non-tournament like crossover game with Striking Scorpion. Yeah. With, uh, I think, Luke Barker. And uh, Luke played his Eldar and Lawrence brought his Dark Eldar with. And I don't think it was his full 36, but quite a few Reavers. And uh, it's one of like the fastest I've ever <laughs> seen like a non-tournament battle report be over. <laughs> like the Reavers were just like uh, uh, on yeah. the well, opponent's so table edge by the Eldar Jet Bikes got a thirty-six so. inch turbo boost move in seventh edition, and that was on top of their twelve-inch normal move. And obviously, they mm-hmm. fly, so they ignore terrain and stuff. So at the end of turn one, you could see them anywhere on the board, literally anywhere on the board. And so the art to using jet bikes in seventh edition was knowing exactly where you need to be to not die in your opponents following, you know, shooting and assault phases, and then still be able to do something in your turn two. And there was a real art form to that. And that was one of the things I never really got great at, but the, right. the full 36 Reaver list was what he took to the, um, that, 
I forget exactly what it's called, but the Gibraltar tournament that has weird comp restrictions. It's it's yes, invitational. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what is no that retreat called? invitational. So that no was retreat. the one where he he debuted the thirty six reaper list, <laughs> but to. Yeah, with mono yeah, dark I think Elder, he won like the first three of those. Also. Speaks to the format, but also speaks to yeah the, the impressiveness of his play. But I mean, for the last LVO yeah. of seventh to place ninth with mixed yeah, dark Eldar, it's pretty pretty well. Um, but to tie back to what you were saying, um, the reason that you haven't seen too many of the armies, the the myriad armies that I collect, is I'm in the same position as you are now with almost all of my armies, I look at it and try to build a competitive list out of what I have. And like, well, this could be competitive if I bought another 80 to $120 worth of models for this particular army, but I have like 15 armies. And so I can't do that with all of them. So I have a whole bunch of like almost playable collections. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I've gotten to a place with Oris yeah. where I know what I'm doing with my suboptimal choices. I think that if I had gotten my orc army to where it is now before the new Space Marines dropped, I would actually feel yeah. good about going to some events and really surprising people with kind of mechanized orcs. Uh, but like Imperial Fists and their Devastator Doctrine doing an extra wound to V I just can't I can't bring a battle wagon. Yeah, well any against Space Marine list in the modern era is gonna be particularly punishing to any light vehicle list, even stuff like uh, battle wagons, because your save is only a four, right? Yeah. Yep. One of our one of our cool custom jobs ups our save to a three and gives us a native five up. Correct. Uh, yeah, it's still not going to keep you alive. You know what would be good is if uh, two of the two of the tournaments I went to uh, had orc players playing with eighteen wound battle wagons, and uh, those extra two wounds really seemed good. Uh, unfortunately, that was not a perk <laughs> they bought. They just didn't know how many wounds their battle wagons had, and neither did their opponents. It was two consecutive tournaments uh, where. You know, I talked to kind of the, you know, the guys, the regulars that you would see around the store tournament. And I was like, oh, how'd I go against orcs? And they were like, well, you know, I just couldn't quite shift that battle wagon off of that last <laughs> objective. You know, I got 17 wounds on it, but uh, that last wound. And I was like, that's a, that's a 16 wound model. And uh, one of the guys was kind of like, ah, such is life. And the other guy, like, I've rarely seen somebody move that fast. He's like, you stay here in case I have more questions about orcs. <laughs> I got to go talk to talk to the T.O. Uh, and I was just like, I, I didn't even want to find out who his opponent yeah. had been. Because I was like, oh, that's fucking somebody's victory is about to get snatched. But um, I feel uh, I feel pretty good about this one. I think we stuck to our, our positive guns. Even talking about uh, models that maybe here at the end are not our uh, <laughs> uh, collections, maybe which are not in the best place. Uh, we talked at least about how to improve them instead <laughs> of Y Games Workshop is our mortal enemy <laughs> and a company that deserves to be put on the ash heap of history. Uh, <laughs> but um, let me ask you this: How many of your armies are at least somewhat built around the models the that I chose today? That you chose today. Um, well, I got into grotesques after I got into 
Dark Eldar as a whole, so I can't say that I'm building my collection around them, but it is very difficult for me to build an army without including them these days. So I would say grotesques or pro pick. Um, I, I bring a Demon Prince in sure. almost every Chaos list that I play uh, of late. Now that Tabletop Simulator is the way that I play 40K and I don't have to actually buy the models that I put on the tabletop, I've been experimenting a little bit more and I like the Lord Discordant <laughs> more than I thought I would, but he still does not take a place in my heart like the disc, like, like the Demon Prince does. So, And I only... I think he's in a situation where you really got to run him with comparable threats of, you know, to his toughness so that they, the enemy has a bad choice. Yeah. Like, do I shoot the disco Lord? Do I just shoot the other scary stuff in the list that's barreling him? Which I, I think actually works out really well for him too, because he wants to be yeah. buffing things of a similar toughness, similar armor saves, stuff like that. I haven't Are you running run dreadnoughts? a non-Leviathan Dreadnought in a long time, but I own a ton of them, and they, I continue to look at them longingly on my shelf. Like maybe one of these days, guys, you will get the buff that you so sorely need. You know, I think certain factions could uh, run a fairly competitive Dreadnought spam. Again, <laughs> if Space Marines were not as they are. Because, again, middle, middling time. I, I, it's every time I say something where I'm like, you know what I bet you could get away with in a lot of matchups. And then I think about the amount of strength for firepower versus toughness yeah. seven chassis. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I forgot about that. Sorry. <laughs> or, you know, Sorry, everybody, Hurricane Bolt or Centurions. Oh man, what a you know what though? There's uh, obviously their rules are too good, but Centurions were so absent from all of Eighth Edition that I kind of still have a little place <laughs> in my heart where I'm like, hey, good for you guys though. I think the model is atrocious. Welcome back so to the table. I gentlemen. don't like them. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, listen, they uh, they certainly didn't try to make the helmet as big as the armor, did they? All right, John, I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you, everybody who has huzzah. listened to us this far. We have just hit about so a Huzzah. Five. Thank you, listeners. So, Dear uh, listeners out there in Radio that? Land. <laughs> and uh, next time, I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but um, I think we might get a little bit into some rule stuff based on what is on our docket of topics. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Hmm. I guess everybody keeps social distancing depending on what state <laughs> you live in. Or go to a big crawfish boil and leave with a lung disease. Sayonara.